This podcast is intended for advisors and staff at the cooperators. The views and opinions expressed are those of the subjects and do not necessarily reflect the official position of the cooperators. That for me is the, is the trifecta, right? Practically better, cost efficient, and more performance. The only reason you won't work with me is if you don't like me personally. Santiago Pinto has been an A1T in Petrolia, Ontario since September 2019. His background is banking with financial advising experience with both TD and Scotiabank. He's had an inside look at how bankers deal with wealth products and feels that the grass isn't always greener on the other side, especially for clients. Here's Santiago with his thoughts on our wealth offerings and his keys to success. Santiago, some T's, and for that matter, many advisors, are intimidated by their wealth goals. How do you feel about those numbers, and what's your plan of attack for achieving them? Funny, because I think a big part of it is the advisors who are struggling with wealth are advisors who are very proficient on the property and casualty side of things. And that's something that I can relate to in the sense that when I see our region builders' property and casualty goal of 120000 I'm worried and I'm calling other advisors. I'm saying, how am I going to achieve that? Like, that's so much. And their response sometimes is like, just show up to work and do your job. And that comes naturally. And then they turn to me and say, but how do you achieve a million in wealth? And I say, well, just show up to work and talk to clients. And that just happens. So I feel like it comes down to what you're comfortable and familiar with. And I'm so comfortable and familiar with the wealth aspect because that's my background. I know a million dollars just happens from good conversations and, and, and proactive calling and, and, you know, scheduling and having that conviction to the value you're bringing to the table. There's more than enough low hanging fruit that you can fill your time and, 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 and achieve that. And I feel they feel the same way about the property side of things, right? They know if you're calling farmers, you're calling businesses, you're doing a good job. You're, you're putting forward the value propositions that you're going to get a hundred thousand in property insurance. No problem. So I think it's a matter of getting more comfortable with, with the value propositions and, uh, getting a specialist. What I'm doing, you know, to achieve my property insurance, I had to lean into that very heavily because mutual funds was not up and running for almost nine months after since I since I started. So thankfully, I had the opportunity to lean into learning more of the farm and commercial uh, and I did get more comfortable with it. But in all honesty, I, I have enough respect for the property insurance side of things that I think you can make a full, in depth, highly knowledgeable career in that. Uh, and so I hired a specialist, a, a farm and commercial specialist, because I have so much respect for that, that I think it's not something that you do as an afterthought. And I think it's the same thing for the wealth thing. You have to give it the respect that it deserves. And if you want to be successful in it, you have to go all in into it. So whether that means you're going to hire out the property and, uh, you know, property insurance side of things, or you're going to hire out the wealth side of things, I think at the end of the day, on a day to day basis, you need to determine what you're going to lean into. And then when you become comfortable with it, you'll see that just like you see with the property side of things, you're able to achieve that, uh, that, that goal. Uh, I don't want to say easy, but by putting in the work, it, it becomes much more feasible to achieve that goal. How do you ensure your staff are on track with your agency goals? 
we have a, a weekly call, uh, wildly important goals, WIGS call, uh, where we review what we did last week, what the outcome was, how many uh, sales contacts we had, how many appointments we had, what uh, sales we did generate, and then what's in the pipeline from, from that week, what to expect this week. Uh, however, with wealth, it's a very slow transaction. Uh, by the time it takes for you to meet with a client, do the financial plan, get their statements from wherever their investments currently are, put together a second opinion, have the second meeting, uh, get the commitment from the client, and then you still have the third meeting or potentially a a fair bit of time to open the accounts, send the transfer authorizations. Uh, I think financial institutions have 17 days to transfer that, or sometimes they'll respond on day 16 and say, you forgot a signature guarantee, you checked the wrong box. So sometimes it could be a month or two before the accounts actually hit the books. Uh, And so we typically keep a balance upwards of half a million to a million in our pipeline, because we know that's going to take a month or two before it closes. Uh, and so we want to keep that number up kind of similarly to life FYC, actually, because especially with COVID, some of the underwriting has been pushed to two, three months. So we know even if we're pacing to hit our targets, it's not guaranteed that all that's going to close. So you almost have to be very close to hitting your targets three months before the deadline. Uh, so that you have time to close uh, some of that business. How important are those weekly meetings? And and how important is it to keep your staff engaged in your vision? I think it's very important. Uh, I think it's more so important for the purpose of encouraging staff. Uh, Personally, I think that's a very underrated part of our job as the advisor owners. No one is going to have as much enthusiasm about growing your business as you are. And I think sometimes we make the mistake of assuming that they all feel like they have ownership in this uh, when it's not necessarily the case. Uh, You have to be the one who's showing them that enthusiasm, leading by example, encouraging them, incentivizing, talking to them about what's important to you, you know, reminding them why we're doing what we're doing. You know, the reason I want to meet with clients is I want to give them peace of mind, bringing forward testimonials from the client I just met with last week who said, because of your enthusiasm, I have uh, peace of mind that I know you will have our back on our retirement journey, looking forward to working with you. Um, and, and, and when you share that with staff there, it has to be bigger than the numbers, right? The numbers are a reflection of what we're doing. Uh, but it's not the reason for why we're doing what we're doing. Um, it's just a metric of how effectively are we achieving financial security for our clients. When we have statistics uh, from Bloomberg that say 80% of Canadians feel they're not ready for retirement, 85% of Canadians don't have a written financial plan, right? There's all these statistics that say it's not for lack of opportunity. It's not because everybody has a financial planner and a, and a written plan and their investments are fully optimized. Um, it's because we're not having the conversations or we don't feel that the value is there to be added. So for me, those weekly meetings, when we're talking about the numbers, you know, if we had a slow week or a slow couple of weeks, uh, what was the cause for the lack of conversations? But if there's not a justified reason for why we're not having those conversations, I think it just comes down to motivation. So it's just re-motivating them by putting the focus on why we do what we do, right? And everybody maybe has a slightly different reason for why they do what they do and what motivates them, but uh, finding what that is and inspiring them through that um, is the most important thing. And if you're in this 
only for the money and you don't care about people, then I, I, I am hard pressed that you're going to consistently, uh, produce, um, cause I don't feel that that's a good fuel for longevity of success. Santiago, we're about to unveil a big change to our retail brand. How will that help you as an advisor? I think right now it's very, very much um, a proactive process to educate clients on how competitive our wealth offering is, on how competitive our financial planning options are and, and, and the focus that we have. From a macroeconomic perspective, when that's rolled out, you're going to start to see existing clients uh, calling in to talk about uh, financial planning, right? Uh, or, or a second opinion. Uh, a lot of times, uh, clients that I've talked to uh, over the last year who were married to their advisor, say they did have a private wealth advisor at TD Waterhouse or Asante or whatever it is, um, have called me back this year because their person retired. And I was the person they called because they, I had talked to them about it and they were aware that that was a service that I offered. So I think you'll get more of that kind of thing happening once it's public knowledge that cooperators is one of the competitive wealth offerings that's in the market. We hear a lot about our point of differentiation. When it comes to wealth specifically, why do you think clients should come to us? I think that non-proprietary restriction is... Uh, grossly underrated. I think when you actually start to run the numbers and see what we're able to offer, uh, we again are not in the same ballpark as the retail banks or even some of these companies like Investors Group have moved heavily into proprietary options. And we don't have that restriction right now. We have the ability to offer best in class investments. And I've looked at a lot of portfolios over the years, and I think our back office, kudos to them, put together some fantastic fund options from our prefab, you can call them prefab uh, portfolios. So they're not uh, single line portfolios, they're you know eight or nine funds that make up these portfolios. Uh, and that's a, being able to offer that is grossly underrated. Um, not only is the management fee substantially less than an individual portfolio option, which is what everybody else is pushing, but the performance tends to be substantially better. Also, we have the sophistication of being able to look under the hood, if you will, of the portfolio strategy uh, and exercise some discretion when it comes to uh, the practical use of the fund. So if someone were to come in in 2018, say December, when the markets were down 30%, and they said, I had a, you know, emergency, I need $30,000. And I'm speaking from experience here. This happened a couple of times in that year when I was managing uh, a decent sized book of about 30 million with 300 clients. And we were still offering the individual fund mandate. I was able to say, okay, we're going to sell off the bonds and the, and the portfolio will still be balanced to your investor profile, but we're going to sell off the bonds because the equities are down substantially and we want to give them time to recover right? The bonds were down 2%. The equities were down 15, 18%. So we sold off the bonds, mitigated the loss within three months, the equities were fully bounced back, right? When it's in a, just a one fund cookie cutter option, the whole fund is down 7%. I can't choose what I'm selling from. I just type in, sell $30,000 of this one fund. And now I've actualized some losses for the client that could have been prevented had we had a more sophisticated uh, offering. So 
that's a practical way in which we are head and shoulders above the competition on a day-to-day basis. But also uh, on, on, on the number side of things, we're, we will have a more competitive management fee offering and a better performance uh, option. So that for me is the, is, the perf- is the trifecta, right? Practically better, cost efficient, and more performance. The only reason you won't work with me is if you don't like me personally, right? So, and I think I'm pretty amicable, so I feel like I can connect with most people. Um, so I see no reason why you wouldn't want, want to work with me. So where is all of this going, Santiago? Do you have longer term plans? Where do, where do you see yourself in five years? I actually have a uh, projection drawn out as to what I hope for my agency to look like. My goal five years from now is to have realistically 10 to 15 million. My ambitious goal is to have 20 million in AUM, assets under management. Um, The reason for that number is I would like to have the wealth uh, book be independent of the property book uh, so that they both work together, but so that um, the resources are spread accordingly. So the property book is generating X amount of revenues. I think that a lot of those revenues have to go towards hiring staff and servicing that book of business. And so if you have a P and C book that is fully supporting the wealth book and you have wealth full st- full-time wealth staff who aren't self-sustaining, you're actually depleting the resources of the P and C book to make a great P and C book, right? To have the right staffing and uh, everything that goes into that. And so my goal is to have a fully uh, self-sustaining wealth book and a fully self-sustaining PNC book uh, where the revenues match the staffing that's there, right? Right now, that's not the case. Right now, uh, me and Jesse have the focus on building the wealth book, but we're very much dependent on the PNC book. Whereas I see some advisors are still focused on keeping the PNC book that sustains some minimum uh, you know, production of wealth. And that's the way they want to do it. Um, and again, it's probably because of the main proficiencies and comfortability with the with the business uh, and everything like that. So I, if I was coming from the PNC side, I might be saying the same thing. I want to maximize my PNC book, and we'll just you know sustain the wealth by enough to achieve the minimum targets. Or I'll make it a afterthought of all my PNC advisors, so that if they all produce a hundred thousand, we keep achieving you know, that half a million target or million target or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I don't, I personally don't believe that would be a sustainable model. If we're listening to what they're saying at Congress, that we're moving to three, four, $5 million wealth goals or targets. I think that's only going to be achieved when you have a proficient wealth department. So that's what I'm trying to do is build the proficient wealth team department, whatever you want to call it within my agency and a proficient uh, PNC team within my agency and both working together to cross sell, uh, and, 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 you know, send leads, uh, both ways and take care of the client's full, uh, financial pyramid, if you will. Santiago, you have a very unique perspective having worked inside the banking system. If we talk about, I guess, corporate motivation, how different is the bank's motivation compared to the cooperator's motivation? From my perspective, I think it's night and day. Uh, Working at the banks, uh, their sole purpose, their motivation, their structuring uh, is for uh, the shareholder. Uh, In the year and a half that I was with Scotiabank, the other advisor at my branch uh, changed three times. 
as soon as you're not performing, as soon as you're not achieving the end goal, which is to profit the shareholder, they have no loyalty, no loyalty to their employees, no loyalty to their clients. And so it's not to say that they don't service their customers, but the purpose is always very clear at the bank. It's to increase sales revenue on every interaction. In one of those uh, turnovers, someone from the credit union came and worked with me. And they lasted, I think, three months. And so I reached out to them and I said, why did you leave? Like he was very personable and everything like that. And uh, he said, I can't get behind the banking culture. Um, and I said, what's the difference? You come from another bank. You come with a credit union. And he said, no, no, it's very different. Uh, you know, our, our clients are our owners. Uh, it's a member owned organization. And so they are the ends to what we do. They're the purpose for what, what we do is is to serve them and to better grow the, the sure, the financial institution, but only for the purpose of better serving them. Right. And so being a member owned organization puts the client uh, as a means and an ends. Uh, and so I thought that's a brilliant structuring. I can see why that would improve the culture. And again, it comes back to that value alignment. Uh, if you're a transactional person, if you're not relationship oriented, if you are very profit driven, the bank might be a better fit. But if you're relationship oriented, you care about people, you uh, uh, want to help people and making a profit is a byproduct of that, then I think the cooperators is a, a fantastic fit. My parents are first generation immigrants. I'm a first generation immigrant. I left Colombia when I was five years old uh, because of civil war, essentially. They would have been in a much better position today as they near retirement if someone had taken the time to help them. Um, they weren't high net worth. They were first generation immigrants, spoke very poor English. Uh, and in fact, once I started digging into their finances, as I became a financial advisor, I realized there had been very bad advice given. I knew that the bad advice was given because of, of targets or profitability. Right. And so that really frustrated and lit a fire in me to say, I'm uh, as long as I as much as I can help it, I'm going to prevent this from happening to others. Uh, and so when I sit across from someone, I, I see my mom, I see my dad, I see my brother. Uh, and I think, how can I help you? Uh, so I, I, th I think we are in a very much an honorable um, career and we have a real ability to impact people very positively or very negatively with bad advice. So it's a, it's a really a high responsibility that we hold. Uh, and, and because of that, I, I am very motivated to meet with people uh, and see what I can do for them. For more tips, insights, and stories from your fellow advisors, please subscribe to the Advisor Network Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future podcasts, or just need someone to walk you through how to subscribe, contact me at brad underscore scott at cooperators.ca. You could have all the skill in the world, have all the accreditations, all the letters after your name, but if you don't have the will to call the 10th person after nine have said no, uh, you're not going to get any sales.